Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D, and today I'll be bringing you part one of the case of Carissa Grandine in Toronto, Canada. Let's get right to it. In 2011, 29-year-old Carissa Grandine appeared to have it all. She had a great job as an insurance underwriter for Berkeley, Canada, a cozy bungalow on Marsh Road in Scarborough that she shared with her husband of three years, Philip. The couple were expecting their first child. Anna Carissa Darwin, who went by Carissa, was born in Pasay City in the Philippines on November 10, 1981. In 1994, she moved with her family to Toronto. Carissa took advantage of everything the move to Canada had to offer, and by 2006, she graduated with honors from the University of Toronto with a bachelor's in human biology and archaeology. Carissa was smart, pretty, kind, and generous, so it came as no surprise that she attracted the attention of Philip Grandine. And Philip himself seemed to have a bright future in front of him. According to the Star, he had grown up in Paris, Ontario, graduated from high school as an Ontario scholar, and won the Outstanding Boy Award. By the age of 17, Philip was the first male contestant at what was formerly known as Miss Paris Fair and is now known as the Paris Fair Ambassador Competition. He placed as a runner-up. After high school, Philip set his sights on becoming a pastor, and by 2007, he had graduated seminary with a Bachelor of Theological Studies and was working toward a Master of Divinity degree. Shortly after his graduation from seminary, Philip asked Carissa to be his wife, and on October 11, 2008, at Jarvis Street Baptist Church in Toronto, the pair were married, with Carissa's younger sister as her maid of honor. In the beginning, everything seemed perfect. The Toronto Sun reported that in January of 2010, Philip became senior pastor at Innerdale Baptist. It was a church Carissa and her family once attended, and the current pastor was looking to retire. According to deacon of the church Robert Steves, bringing Philip on as pastor was just as much about Carissa as it was Philip. He stated to the outlet about Carissa. Her love for Ennerdale and her character played a big role when we called him to be our pastor. We thought we were getting a good pastor, but we knew we were getting a great pastor's wife. Being a pastor was only a part-time job, so according to court documents, in May of 2010, Philip, who was also a registered nurse, took a second job at the O'Neill Center, a residential and long-term care facility in Toronto. Like with most things, he excelled. By December of 2010, Philip was promoted to associate nurse manager. Of course, Carissa was still working for Berkeley Canada as an insurance underwriter. 
Time marched on as it always does, and in the summer of 2011, Carissa and Philip learned that the Grand Dine Party of Two would soon become a party of three because Carissa was pregnant. Carissa was excited to become a mom. She looked forward to all the milestones in her pregnancy and had already nicknamed the baby Jellybean. This time in their lives should have been perfect. Carissa and Philip both had great jobs, a cozy bungalow, and were awaiting the arrival of little Jellybean. But in reality, the Grandine marriage was in serious trouble. Not long after Carissa learned she was pregnant, she also discovered that her pastor of a husband was having an affair with a parishioner of the very church he pastored, a woman Carissa herself considered to be a friend. She made the discovery in August of 2011 after finding messages between Philip and Eileen Florentino on Philip's Yahoo account, which, according to later court testimony, is where the affair first started. Well, kinda. As it turned out, Philip and Eileen had first met at Ennerdale Baptist. It was the early summer of 2011, also known as the same time Carissa became pregnant. When then 36-year-old Eileen Florentino, along with a few of her friends, started attending church at Innerdale Baptist. At the time, they were shopping around for a good church to become a part of. And Eileen must have thought Innerdale was a good fit, because she soon began attending pretty regularly and seeking the advice of senior pastor Philip Grandine. At first, speaking with him about a problem she was having with her landlord. After the two spoke, Grandine followed up with an email that Eileen later claimed she initially didn't even read. But Grandine, not wanting those precious keystrokes to go to waste, asked her about that email the following Sunday at church. From that point forward, the two began communicating back and forth over email several times a day. Things took off from there. Soon the two were talking almost every night hopping on the webcam while simultaneously messaging over Yahoo as Grandine sat in his basement. I mean, they were just sitting there looking at each other over the webcam, messaging back and forth. Philip Grandine not able to speak out loud in fear that if he did, Carissa, who was usually upstairs in their family home, would figure out what was going on. At times, Grandine lied to Carissa, telling her that he was headed out for a jog around the neighborhood, while he snuck down into the basement for these webcam Yahoo chats with Eileen. I want you to remember that this dude lied about taking jogs. It'll be important later. Surprise, surprise, things rather quickly turned sexual. By July of 2011, the two had kissed, and then, according to Eileen's later testimony, Quote, then we ended up making out, almost having sex, but not having sex. Whatever that means. But of course, as the affair continued, Philip and Eileen did have sex, the first time in her car outside of her job. Eileen was reportedly working as a nanny. The kids must have been down for a nap or something. Anyhow, after their first full-blown sexual encounter, again according to Eileen, Philip cried, apparently feeling guilt for cheating on his pregnant wife. She quoted him as saying, I love you, but I don't want you to go to hell or continue in our sin. But he did in fact continue in his sin. 
and the following month, so it's now August of 2011, Carissa found exchanges between the two online, and that wasn't all. Carissa also found that her husband had been frequently visiting several different porn sites. She confronted Philip and Eileen as well, sending her a message over Facebook. Philip admitted to the affair and told Carissa he would end it and that he was committed to his wife. It appears he told Eileen that it was over and sought advice from a fellow pastor and mentor, James Hadfield. At a meeting at the church, Philip confessed the affair as well as his struggle with pornography to Pastor Hadfield. His mistress Eileen was actually eavesdropping at the closed door while this went down and secretly listened in as Pastor Hadfield told Philip he had to immediately resign from his position as senior pastor and have no further association with Innerdale Baptist Church. Philip resigned and returned to the church he had been attending prior to Innerdale. According to court documents, Philip and Carissa asked Pastor Hadfield if he would give them marriage counseling. And though he wasn't a professional counselor, he did have some experience in counseling troubled couples. So he agreed, arranging weekly sessions at Carissa and Philip's home. There was one stipulation, though. And that was that due to Philip's porn problem, a web filter designed to block porn sites from being accessed would be installed on the home computer. And it was later installed by Carissa. The counseling sessions went as planned, and it seemed Philip was devoted to making his marriage work. Or at least, that's how it appeared to his wife Carissa and Pastor Hadfield. However, as we all know by now, things aren't always as they appear. And while Philip went right along with the counseling and said all the right things, he had actually never really ended the affair. I mean, to hear his mistress tell it, as she later would on the stand, they gave it the good old college try. But shockingly, the fornicating continued. Eileen later recalling, We were trying so hard. The temptations were very strong. We continued to do it. In fact, they continued to do it even as a pregnant Carissa was in the hospital. The Toronto Star reported that sometime in August, Carissa was hospitalized. The details of why are unclear. But while his wife was in the hospital, Philip picked up his mistress and drove her to the family home for a little rendezvous. She testified that while the two spent time together, quote, there was touching and everything but not sex. Apparently, after they had both copped a good feel, Philip went to the hospital to visit his wife for a couple hours and left his mistress there at the house. But before he left, according to Eileen's testimony, he made sure to ask his mistress to toss up a prayer for his sick wife, stating, please pray for her. There's foul and then there's feeling up your side piece while your wife is in the hospital and then asking her to pray. At this point, all the morals had quietly gathered their belongings and left the building, never to return. Military Murder is a true crime show that pulls back the curtain on true crime cases in the military. Some of these cases get media attention, while others are swept quietly under the rug. 
Two years ago, the disappearance and subsequent murder of Vanessa Guillen placed military crime in the spotlight. Everyone was horrified that something like this could happen on a military installation. Vanessa's murder and her family's fight for justice brought these cases to the forefront. And that's where I pick up to tell you everyone else's story. As a 12-year veteran and former military attorney myself, I dig into cases just like Vanessa's, cases that occur around the world at the hands of soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen. But most of the cases I cover, you've never even heard of. New episodes of Military Murder are available every other Monday. And with over 100 plus episodes and counting, you will have plenty of content to binge. Now go on and listen to Military Murder Podcast. According to court documents, another counseling session was scheduled with Pastor Hadfield on Thursday, October 13, 2011. The pastor arrived at the Grandine home in the afternoon. When he did, he found that only Philip was home, and Philip was acting strange. According to Pastor Hadfield, his eyes weren't fully open and he was staggering around and slurring his words. It appeared to the pastor that Philip was under the influence of something, although he couldn't be sure of exactly what it was. He didn't think it would have been alcohol as Philip didn't drink, and further, he didn't smell alcohol on him or anything like that. But something was definitely off. Philip told Pastor Hadfield that he was headed to the subway station to pick Carissa up from work. But the pastor was concerned that Philip was impaired to the degree that he certainly shouldn't have been operating a vehicle, so he offered to go and get Carissa. However, Philip was adamant that he was fine and he was going to get his wife. Despite the protest of the pastor, he did just that. Pastor Hadfield waited at the house for the pair to return. Thankfully, Philip and Carissa made it safely back home and the counseling session began. That's when things went from weird to weirder, because throughout the session, Philip kept falling asleep, so much so that Pastor Hadfield had to rouse him multiple times. Pastor Hadfield left, and sometime later that evening, Carissa began to feel strange. She felt tired, confused, and disoriented. She had loss of memory and muscle coordination, began vomiting, and at one point, she fell out of bed. Carissa didn't know why or what had made her so sick, but she tried to sleep it off. The following day on Thursday, October 14th, she still didn't feel quite right, so Philip took her to the ER at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. They made it there around 7 p.m. that evening. Carissa reported the symptoms she had been suffering, but as she tried to answer the physician's questions, Philip kept interjecting, taking it upon himself to answer for Carissa. He told medical staff that during the time when the symptoms were the most severe, Carissa had been asking him strange questions. And Carissa was about to ask her husband another strange question. It all went down after her mother, who Carissa had called, arrived at the hospital and rushed to her daughter's side. Her mom asked her how she was feeling, and Carissa responded, I don't know, Mom. I can't remember anything. I've thrown up numerous times, about 11 or 12 times, 
and there's nothing coming out anymore. Carissa then turned to Philip and asked, Philip, did you give me a pill? That question shocked both Carissa's mom and Philip himself. Why would Carissa even think that was a possibility? And further, according to Carissa's mother, Philip was itching to leave the hospital and head home because he was tired. Never mind the fact that his wife, who at this point was 20 weeks pregnant, was suffering a medical emergency. He was tired. But Carissa wanted him to stay with her. She said to her mom, you know, mom, he's only thinking of himself. I'm the one sick here and he is not. Carissa confronted Philip, asking him why he was in such a hurry to leave and if there was someone at home waiting for him. The two began to argue, but the confrontation was interrupted as Carissa had to be taken back for a CT scan. She was then told that she would be staying overnight for an ultrasound the next morning and as a precautionary measure so they could continue to observe her. At that point, Carissa began to cry, pleading with her husband to stay, at least until she was moved to her room. But Philip insisted that he was going home and he would drop his mother-in-law off on the way. And they left. A variety of diagnostics were ran, testing for everything from an infection to a metabolic disorder. But despite the treating physician's best efforts, she was unable to find anything that would explain Carissa's symptoms. So, the following day, Carissa was discharged according to plan. After resting up at home, by Sunday the 16th, she was feeling much better. She and Philip went to her aunt's house in Brampton, Ontario to visit some relatives who were visiting from the States. Everything appeared to be fine and Carissa seemed to be in good spirits. Her mother recalled, She was looking so good. Even my nephew said she was glowing. She was happy. She was so happy to see her cousins and my sister. The next day, which was a Monday, life in the Grandine household got back to normal. Carissa went off to work and the day was pretty unremarkable. But all that changed at around 10.49 p.m. that October 17th day with a 911 call. Toronto Ambulance, where do you need us? 12 Marsh Road. Sorry, 12 Marsh Road? 12 Marsh Road. And what is the closest major intersection? It's Birchmount and St. Clair or Birchmount and Danforth Road. Okay, and is this a house or an apartment? It's a house. What's the telephone number you're calling from? 647-827-9258. Okay, so tell me exactly what's happened. I just came home, and I was out running, and my wife was taking a bath. And when I came home, she's in the bath, but she's under the water, and she's not breathing. Okay, sir, did you remove the water from the bathtub? No, I haven't. Okay, t take the moment to do that now, okay? Okay, okay. How old is she, sir? She's 29. She's 29? Okay, is she breathing at all? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Are you able to get her out of the bathtub? I probably can. Okay, Radio, this is going to be an yep. echo tier. Do you want me to do that now? Yes, I want you to do that now. Get her out, put her on the floor, flat on her back. Okay? I know how to do CPR. Okay, well, I'm going to guide you through that. Do that okay. right now. Get her out, put her flat on her back. Let me know when it's done. All right. Chris, uh, Chris, uh, come on. 
Can you see anything in her mouth? No, no. Okay, I want you to place your... Sorry, I want you to... Uh, you, you don't see anything in her mouth? No. Okay, I want you to try and tilt her head back. Give her... Try Open up her airway. Okay. Okay, and we're going to start to do compressions, okay? Come on, woman. Okay, so I want you to place the heel of your hand on the breastbone, right in the center of her chest. Yeah, 30, right? Right between the nipples. Place your other hand on top of that hand. Uh, yeah. Okay, I want you to press down firmly, two inches with the heel of your lower hand touching her chest. Okay. Listen carefully. You need to pump the chest fast and hard at least twice per second, okay? Okay. We're going to do this 600 times or until help can take over. Let the okay. chest come all the way up between pumps and count out loud so I can count with you, okay? The call went on for several more minutes as Philip seemingly counted out compressions. Despite all Philip's heavy breathing and splashing, when first responders arrived, the tub hadn't even been drained, which was pretty odd considering that was one of the first instructions the operator gave. Once on scene, paramedics took over. But unfortunately, there was nothing they could do for Carissa or her unborn child. Carissa and the baby were both deceased. The circumstances were hella suspicious, so investigators were called in. Of course, they wanted to talk to the last person who had seen Carissa alive, which was her husband, Philip. He repeated basically the same story he had told the 911 operator, adding in a few details. The story, if you let Philip tell it, was that he had picked Carissa up at the train station after she got off work that evening. They had dinner together, watched a program on the internet, and then had sex. By this time, it was about 9.45 p.m., and Philip left the house to go for a jog. He last saw Carissa before he headed out the door, and she was in the bathroom with the door closed. When he returned roughly an hour later, that's when he had found Carissa unresponsive in the bathtub and placed that 911 call. His story left investigators with several questions, one of them being who in the hell goes for a casual jog at 9.45 p.m.? And why, if Philip was out traipsing the neighborhood and Carissa was in the bathtub, had someone been on the computer roughly 40 minutes prior to the 911 call being made, it sure as hell couldn't have been Carissa. Because Carissa would have never uninstalled the computer program she placed on the family computer to keep her philandering husband from looking up porn sites. But someone sure had. And that was just the tip of the iceberg of evidence that investigators would recover from the computer in the Grandine home. It seemed someone had been very busy on that computer in the basement. Sir Walter Scott once said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Philip Grandine had woven quite the tangled web. As investigators began to unravel it strand by strand, and the truth began to surface, it was even more cold and callous than anyone imagined. Unfortunately, we are running out of time, and there is so much more to this story. 
Join me next week, same time, same place, for the conclusion of Carissa's case. I do have to say one more quick thing before we go, and that is that domestic violence knows no bounds. It can happen to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. A successful businesswoman, a stay-at-home mom, a young college student, or homeless in the street. It crosses all political party lines, race, and socioeconomic status. And oftentimes, it's hard to see on the surface. If you find yourself in a violent and abusive relationship or suspect that someone you love is, please reach out for help. There are resources available to help you navigate your path to freedom. In the U.S., you can visit thehotline.org for more information or text the word START to 88788. Someone is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For our Canadian friends, you can go to crisistextline.ca or Google for resources available in your specific province. I'll be sure to link a few resources in the show notes. For more information about this case, head over to my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. You can finally get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.